Hello, and welcome to Faith Fitness and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, and I'll warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Tennessee Pre, and Primate Apparel for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. And if you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're like me and you want that focus group in your training without the caffeine crash, then Tennessee Pre is the pre-workout for you. And we are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who do you ill is a vital part of my training. And you can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. But this afternoon, I'm sitting down with Trevor Jaffe, renowned strength coach and owner of Jaffe Strength. With a repertoire in strongman, weightlifting, and powerlifting, Trevor has coached over 15 all-time world records with multiple athletes, as well as with my old coach, Stacey Burr. You aren't going to want to miss a single minute of this episode with the Deadlift Whisperer as we talk strategy, the future of the sport, and more. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Trevor, what is going on? I have to live up to that intro now. Uh, now the pressure's on. <laughs> I always say when I'm recording, I, I try to create this like monster of an intro, so then they feel intimidated. You know, they... <laughs> well, you make me sound so much better than I am. But <laughs> oh, this is good. All right, I'm gonna live up um, to all that now. That's good. Yeah. So now, now we really have to to hit them with some good content here for the next little while. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll we'll just jump right in. Um, you know, I know I've kind of followed you from a distance for a while. I've, I've had some friends who um, have worked with you and I've definitely seen the progress. Uh, my current coach, Larry McEwen, I know is one of yours. And so I knew I wanted to, to chat with you, get some, some pearls of wisdom. Um, but before we jump into all that, I really just want to kind of hear your story. I know you weren't necessarily a lifter when you started out uh you know as a child and i wonder if you could just talk into that a little bit about how you even got into the world of fitness in the first place okay so i was the chubby shy introverted kid who uh, had no self-confidence and didn't want to be seen by anyone so i would hide in the back of the room you know if you walk into the room right. you would never see me which is a stark contrast to now when if you walk in the room i'm usually the first person you notice because i'm wearing something outlandish like pink cheetah vans or for right. a solid two years, I had multicolored hair, mohawk. So it's definitely a contrast from where I started to where I am now, uh, which was interesting because I'm still, believe it or not, an introvert, but I'm an extroverted introvert. So I have found ways of drawing people closer to me since I didn't have the, at the time as a child, the confidence to go up and start conversations with other people. So is there something I adapted to becoming a little bit different? You know, nowadays the terminology is a snowflake because... Although I'm not sensitive, but snowflake in the fact that I'm unique and different. So I certainly walked to my own, my own drummer. Yeah. Uh, I started very young, actually, as a lifter. I just didn't start competing until later in life because, again, I didn't have the courage to do so. Um, I was always fascinated. You know, you, I watched pro wrestling as a kid, as everybody did in the 80s, and it was mainstream TV at that time, Saturday night live events on NBC kind of thing. And, you know, you're fascinated with comic books like X-Men. You see the muscles drawn in there, and pro wrestlers are larger than life. And that was the era of Arnold Stallone, Mr. T, you know, if you were somebody, you were big and strong. So that's who I was looking up to. Of course, I was, you know, shorter, fatter, and shyer than they were. So I had a long way to go. So I was always fascinated with it. I would, my, my brother handed me down when I was like 
nine years old, 10 years old, a ton of muscle magazines that he had because he's four years ahead of me. So he was 14 and he was starting to get into wanting to build his body, you know, puberty. And so I would devour them like they were, you know, they were my, my, my Bible, so to speak. I don't want to be that for, you know, that sacrilegious there. Sure. But that's what it was at the time. You know, when you have no confidence and you're flipping through glossy page after gloss, glossy page of guys with an abundance of confidence, you start to admire that confidence and that physique and that build. So my, my fascination with training started at a very young age. Uh, I started lifting when I was 13 and I was at the mercy of everybody else who could bring me to the gym or with them if they had cars. So it was sporadic, but the second I got my driver's license when I was 16, video games went away and gym became my new obsession. Like I was there every day. Wow. Wow. No, I, and I think that that's an interesting parallel. I, I inventing many ways was very similar to that. Uh, and then when I was a little kid, it was also, Hey, if I wasn't running, my, my dad was a marathon runner. And so if I wasn't running, I was going to be out of shape. And I knew I'd just start gaining weight because I knew I loved food. But the problem was food didn't love me as much as I loved it. And so I, I turned probably around that same time to lifting because I knew if I didn't, I was really going to be shortening my lifespan <laughs> by, by a little bit if I didn't start making a change. So I definitely relate to that. Yeah, it's lot. it's our sport now where it's evolved to is it's more mainstream. It's not quite like NFL, NBA mainstream, but it's more mainstream to power lift. Thanks in part to CrossFit, which really broadened that horizon for people lifting a barbell again. We owe a lot of debt of gratitude to them. So people coming into the sport are much more athletic than when I started the sport. It was the outcasts, mm -hmm. the guys who were too slow for football and weren't mm -hmm. tall enough for basketball or coordinated enough for baseball. You became a power lifter because, you know, you started lifting weights for those sports and quickly realized you were going to be on the bench. And all of a sudden you were better at lifting right. weights than you were in the field and course sports. Where nowadays there's people in the sports who are incredibly athletic and could have done that if they wanted to. But they wanted to power lift because it is acceptable. Yeah, and it's been really cool to see. I think even since, uh, you know, I started lifting just a few years ago of seeing how increasingly mainstream it's become. Like when I first started was when uh, hybrid really had just kicked off. Like Hayden and Steffi had just launched that in Miami. Uh, and so like no one really knew who they were yet. And then I like look back and I'm like, holy smokes, right. <laughs> like, it's blown up, you know, and because people are, are finally starting to pick and up. And again, that was through a CrossFit gym. You know, Hayden met Steffi at uh, CrossFit Soul in Miami at the time. I competed with them in a super total meet. So I competed against Hayden and Steffi. That was the first time I met Steffi. And the CrossFit Super Total, not the CrossFit Total, but it was a CrossFit Soul Super Total meet, which was a full weightlifting meet and a full powerlifting meet in the same day. And that was fun because Hayden came from the weightlifting background and Steffi was interning there at the time to learn CrossFit as part of her, her um, doctor of physical therapy requirements. And she ended up transitioning over to weightlifting and that's where their relationship kind of blossomed and started. And it's grown to where they're both much higher competitors in powerlifting. And they've grown a brand mm -hmm. and, a, and a gym and a company. And, and you, it shows you how much the sport has taken off in just those short five, six years. Yeah. Oh, it's remarkable. Uh, and, and I think we've even seen, you know, every once in a while, I'll be scrolling Instagram and see on like King of the Lifts, uh, you know, just these random backyard people have come out of nowhere. And a lot of them are usually people who played football in high school or college. And then they're like, oh, wait, like. I can come over here and just lift heavy weights and then get famous off. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And you do see, they're just these freak athletes who are ragdolling weights that for a lot of us, it's like, man, this was a dream, dream weight of mine. But then you came in and threw it with the athletics. Yeah. Well, it's a misconception that they came out of nowhere. 
they might be newer to powerlifting by one or two years, but they're not newer to lifting. And that's where people get thrown off when they watch Instagram and they see someone like, oh, he's only been powerlifting for one year and he's already deadlifting 700 pounds. It's a misconception that he's newer to lifting. So people get frustrated when they get in there and within one year, they're not deadlifting 700 pounds. They're like, well, I don't get how he did it. It must be this. It must be that. It's like, no, the guy's been lifting since he was 16 playing football and he's 24 now. That's eight years of lifting, you know, <laughs> and you're expecting the same progress in your first year of lifting. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think it was someone, uh, it might have been NF, who I listened to a lot, and he said, you know, you're only going to notice people once their song blows up, and frequently they've been at it for yes. years. You know, that, I think that's, that's the exact parallel, you know, to what you're saying. You just don't realize it until the person does something where everyone's picked exactly. up. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, so you've kind of come into infamy in kind of these different tips and tricks that you post on Instagram, and obviously your work with some really top-tier lifters. Um, but beyond the physicality of training, something that I think a lot of people overlook and I always try to look at is the mental game. That we know the, the phrase of just don't F up for 20 seconds. Um, wh- where for you do you really see the mental game coming into play in training over the physical game, especially in preparation for... Yeah, I actually have that T-shirt from American Barbell Club with the Kirk Kaworski quote that if you don't F up for 10 seconds, you're going to make the lift. And uh, that's your meet day attitude, which is great because everyone's amped up and excited in the meet. But we compete Mm -hmm. maybe two or three times a year. You know, you see a lot of newer people come to the sport and they they compete in every meet because they don't know any better, so they do five. But when it gets to a point where you're competing twice a year or maybe even at a level where you're competing only once a year in the highest meets of the year... You have to have that mentality towards everything you do that revolves around your lifting. And I'm not saying being so myopic that lifting is the only thing that matters. But if you could not mess up with your nutrition, with your recovery, with your programming, with your mobility, these are the things that are not going to just get you there. They're going to keep you there. So that's the mindset people forget is they're like, oh, I work hard in the gym. And that's awesome. But for a lot of us, it's only five or six hours a week. And there's so many more hours mm-hmm. in the day and so many more hours in the week. And then you have to be consistent months on end to see the kind of progress and results they have. That's where the athletes have an advantage with the mindset is because when they're playing team sports, you know, they're drilled into their head to always come in, always give their best, to make smart choices in life so they don't ruin their opportunities, they don't ruin their chances. And that's one of the reasons why they excel so much faster because that's been built into them. So if you want to excel in the sport, you're going to have to understand the mindset is a focused mindset. You know, you have to have a proactive mindset where you're doing all the steps necessary, not just putting effort in when you're under the bar. Because really the majority of the work comes from what you do outside of the gym. And the gym is just a stimulus and then you have to adapt and recover. So the mindset always has to be moving forward. The choice I'm making now, is it going to make me better tomorrow or is it going to put me back? Yeah. Man, and and I think, you know, you've hit something there because frequently – people think that the lifting is the hard part. And it's like, no, lifting's yep. the fun part. Like that's, everyone likes lifting. That's not what's difficult. It's, it's the discipline outside mm-hmm. of that. And so I, I think that's, oh man. Yeah. I mean, that's good. And I, I don't think enough people recognize that or they'll, they'll hear it, but they're not necessarily going to apply right. it. We're motivation junkies and yeah. motivation has to be renewed every day. Like if you were to watch something like a movie, like Friday night lights did well, but the clip where he's giving the perfect practice speech on YouTube has been seen like 20,000 more times than the movie has. <laughs> yeah? Because that's the motivating scene of the movie. Right. The Rocky training montages have been watched more than the Rocky movies. You know, we're always chasing that next motivation. And you have to learn how to become your own motivation. And a lot of people realize that at a higher level is they can't compare themselves to what other people are doing. It's what are you doing 
What could you do better? And what should you be doing less of to excel? So your motivation has to be renewed all the time, but your discipline is what keeps you there. Your discipline to do these things every day is what keeps you there. Motivation comes and goes. You know, that can, that can change by the sunshine. You can be depressed one day and unmotivated to train because the sun's not out. And the next day the sun's not out, you're motivated to train. That could be something different. But if you have the discipline, you're going to train on both days regardless. You know, I had a guy I was chatting with uh, a while ago who I had actually just stumbled across on TikTok like a year ago who's lost, you know, 180 pounds in the last year and a half. And his whole thing was that idea that it's motivation uh, is very mm-hmm. fleeting. It's the inspiration and the reason why you're doing something that's going to drive it. If you're just looking to get motivated by a couple of people, yeah, you can go to the Arnold once a year and then be hyped for about a week because you saw someone do something in the cage. But then a week later, you're back to, you know, not putting the work in because there's no actual drive behind it. It was just you experiencing a high, like those kids that go to Christian camp and get really pumped for a few days and then come back and it's over. Absolutely. You know, it's going to come and go. You have to, more so than than finding motivation is instilling discipline. You know, that's a very underlying fact in in anyone's success, you know, and and you have a lot of guests coming up on on this podcast that I've seen posts that you were looking at. And these are all highly disciplined people. In various avenues, they're disciplined, yeah. and that's why they're that's why they're there where they are. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important, you know, because a lot of these big lifters, you know, I think it's easy for the average Joe, just the guy who walks into a gym, and I'll come back to the Arnold, you know, the people that are outside the cage watching people lift or walking around the vendors can get intimidated because they're like, wow, like these people are are huge. They're their muscles are 10 times bigger than mine are. They're moving so much more weight and, and they're afraid to, to engage with these people because there's almost like this aura of, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, it's that idea that they're just nervous to interact. But at the end of the day, as I've realized chatting with these people is we're all just guys or all just girls like that have just happened to instill that discipline and happen to put the work in to make ourselves better. And I think that's something that's been lost even through social media because people are just scared to approach anyone anymore. The, the social media allows more interaction, you know, um, people will comment on a post or, or thing I'll put up and question it or want to know how it could help them or thank me for helping them. So it, it shrinks that gap, you know, back in, back in the day, I couldn't interact with somebody at the highest level when I was picking up a magazine or reading a, a, of an article online mm-hmm. where now I can't. It doesn't necessarily mean you should, you know, direct message that person for any reason, because trust me, we get a lot, but it's, it's one of those things where you're able to ask them a question right then and there on their post. So if somebody posts something like a lift or a tutorial, you can ask them right there on this post, should this apply to me? Should this apply to other people? Do you think it would help with this? Or I've noticed I have that. It allows you to engage and interact with them, which is probably what a lot of actual higher level lifters are lacking is they just ignore all those. They don't answer people. And then they're wondering why they don't have clients yeah. and then they coach and they're putting, you know, DM me for coaching spots. If you're not interacting, you're just, you're not showing that you can communicate in the first place. So it's going to be very hard for you as a coach to establish that, that coaching relationship. If you're not even interacting when they ask you a question on your post. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting you mention that because you do a really good job of interacting with everyone that I've noticed, you know, you're always trying to, as long as it's not, you know, someone being stupid or annoying, that you're, you're, you're trying to interact. And that is something that now, obviously at a certain point, once you get your, your followings too big, I mean, Bradley Martin's not going to be able to, you know, interact with every person, but that principle I think is important to continue to remember, Hey, like 
we have this platform yeah. for if we might as well use it to, to get I've learned how to structure it because it does get overwhelming and when Stacy was missing was uh, living with me you can see it, it's a full-time job sometimes just to interact and answer people and questions and you get a lot of random DMs from people you don't know and you don't follow and they're asking a lot from you more so than, than sometimes they should like people will just bombard you and send you eight videos and be like, hey, what can I do better it's like they don't even say hello <laughs> and you're like wait a minute yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and, and I was like, this is what my clients are paying for. Uh, I'll happily interact if you comment on my post, but just sending me eight videos and asking me to, to critique your form and tell you what to do better, you're crossing <laughs> right. the boundaries, especially if you don't even know how to say good morning. You know, it's, it's a right. lot. So I structure it to where I'm only allowing myself to be on by certain hours of the day. And I try to not to scroll at all if I can help it. So I have hundreds of notifications every day from athletes who are tagging me in videos to see or sending me messages. So I will stay off social media entirely until 2 p.m. So that way I can get work done in the morning. I can write programs. I can answer emails and things like that that clients send me. After I train, I'll get on there at, say, 2 p.m. and I'll look through all the notifications I have to try and clear as many as I can. And then I'll answer any messages I possibly can. I'll come off for about an hour. So I spend about an hour and a half to two hours just doing that because that's how many that are there. I'll come off for an hour, go back to emails and questions and stuff like that writing some programs and I'll toggle back on, but I'll, I'll kind of go on and off from that time period from 2 PM to 10 PM. And then from 10 PM Eastern, I'm off. So if you've tagged me in something, said me in something or sent me a message after 10 PM Eastern, it's not going to get replied to because that's, that's the end of the day. It's off. And, uh, so that's how I kind of just put it in that eight hour window. I won't sit on there for eight hours, but I'll go back and forth over that eight hour window and check and see, because a lot of lifters that I have will start training at 4 PM, you know, 5 PM, 6 PM. So that's a busier time for them to come on and look for help with things. And so that's why I make, I try to make myself as available as possible during those hours. Well, so that actually jumps right into one of the questions I was going to ask you, you know, as someone who is, you know, getting bombarded by questions on a regular basis and having people who, yeah, classic are just want things and aren't willing to actually interact on a human level. They're just like, Hey, fix it, fix it, fix it. How do you balance, you know, even outside of you, you know, you have that two to 10 window, but, you know, the rest of your kind of weekly basis, how, how do you balance it all? Because I would imagine you've got a, a thousand things coming at you on a daily basis. How do you find time for yourself? Uh, that, that's why I put the limits on there. So my time is my training time. Riley and I go in the garage just about 11 or 11.30 and train for an hour and a half. Um, and that's usually my, my time. Like phones are off. We're not talking about work or doing this thing. So she does the same thing as well. And we're kind of just leaving the outside world out there. So in my mornings, mornings are, you know, I play music and in the background from Alexa and uh, we'll center it on work. So I try and take as much outside noise out as much as possible during my morning hours. So it's a little bit more quiet and I can be more productive. And I allow that noise to come in in the evening time. Uh, there is a lot of sacrifices. Like I'm not a big TV guy. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't go out and do many things. I live this every day. So there's a lot of sacrifices to handle the amount of clients I have. But it, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice to me because I really enjoy it. I enjoy talking about training. I enjoy looking sure. at their, their lifts and, and seeing their aha moments or their PRs. I really, really enjoy that. So it's more entertaining to me. But I try and step away from it as much as I can to spend just a half hour reading a book. Or uh, when life wasn't, you know, with the Rona situation, we didn't have to social distance. Ron and I would go out on a Tuesday and go see a movie. <laughs> try, try to have some right. sense of normalcy. That, like Tuesday night was like date night. But sure. uh, with the Rona situation right now, it's like everything's shut, so we're just at home. It wasn't a. It was kind of frustrating and stressful at first to see what everybody was going through, and then I really just adapted even more structure, and that helped. Like we eat at certain times, we eat on a certain schedule. Like Riley cooks certain things, 
we exercise at the same time. We take a walk every evening. So every evening now after our last like normal meal, like 8 p.m., we go for a 30 to 45 minute walk around my neighborhood. So then the phones are in pockets or she even just leaves hers at home. So we're not looking at them. Just finding time to disassociate from work, which is hard to do when people know you're connected 24-7. Right, right. I think it was something that was easier to do probably 15 years ago. But now everyone's like, well, hey, you've got your phone in your pocket. That means I should be able to contact you. And it's, well, no, the, the phone's there for my ease of access, not Yeah, 15 years ago, I remember uh, my phone, your phone bill that used to come, used to get a paper bill back in the day, not the electronic bill. But the paper, the paper bill would show you how right. many text messages you did a month, and it would be like 420 for the month. And back then I even thought that was excessive. And now my, my text message, Instagram, and all that stuff, and emails, they exceed like 500 a day. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. It's easily. pretty crazy. So easily. Oh, yeah. No, I remember, you know, I had a little uh, brick uh, fake Blackberry, you know, back in middle school, and I would pay for 500 texts a month. Like, that was the plan. I was like, I'm not, why would I text anyone more than 500 times? You know, and it's, now it's like, I probably, I probably do that on a daily basis. And it's just crazy how the times have, have shifted towards that instant communication instead of that, hey, like, let's wait until we need to talk about something yeah. important to communicate. Um, well, so I know a lot of, of your work is centered around coaching. Uh, and I wonder, you know, coming back to, to really your beginnings, you know, you not being an, really an athlete on the front end, how has that played into your own coaching style? Because I know some coaches, they've been athlete all their life. They're super intense. They, they have these super high expectations all the time. Like, how does that play into your own story? Well, I was an athlete, athlete and still am an athlete. I just don't post my own lifts very often. So that's the misnomer over sure. the last couple of years is people don't think I, I lift and compete, and I do. I just don't post my own because it's only important to me. It's not important to them. So I've been competing since mm -hmm. 2006 in strongman and weightlifting and powerlifting and lifting since I was 13 years old. I'm 40 now, so it's 27 years of, of weightlifting. It's not like I've just started. Um, I just stayed away from your traditional sports because they didn't appeal to me as much to play them as much as there was to watch them. Like I used to be a very big football fan, baseball fan, basketball sure. fan. I'd watch them all. But then I realized I'm watching these guys do something and I'm, I'm achieving nothing. So it became much more about myself. Right. And as I was competing, I found myself helping more athletes, helping more individuals and people seeking out my help. And I just kind of I owned a, or a personal training studio. I got very involved. I went to school. My plan was to become a physical therapist. I went to school and got a degree in structural body work, and it started the process to become a physical therapist and started working in a club in 2001 as a personal trainer. And it just it occupied and filled my time right away. I was you know full time trainer working 50 hours a week training sessions, and then ended up opening up my own studio and training people. And then it became segued into helping people with nutrition programming, making their weight class, doing things without losing, sacrificing strength, which segued into people asking for programming and coaching for the powerlifting. And then that's all I do now. So I literally just online coach and it fluctuates between like 90 and 105 mm -hmm. athletes over the last couple of years. And it's just all online coaching. Like I, I let go of my training studio. I don't have any in-person clients anymore. I literally just kind of sit on and off my computer or phone going back and forth with athletes and watching their videos and critiquing them and giving them help and putting up tutorials to help the entire community actually. But uh, I'll actually be competing again mm -hmm. if we have meets. I'll be competing again in October. I just haven't competed since yeah. last January. But very rarely on my main feed do I put my own lifting. 
you know, I just put things that help other people or athletes progress. When we could post videos from people working out in gyms, I would post the athletes progress, the athletes PRs. Every now and again, I would sneak my own training into uh, like my Instagram story, but I don't write anything special about it. I don't show off with anything because I train whether we had Instagram or YouTube before I would train. If it all went away tomorrow, I would still be training and doing what I love because that's what I love to do and competing as well. You know, I still, mm -hmm. I still compete just not as often because I can't like, it we got to a point in Florida where I was having 12 to 15 athletes that I coach also with me in the meet. So, so it becomes difficult to compete and coach in the same day, especially if I want to be in knee wraps. So right. This time I'm flying out of state to the suburbs of Illinois. And wouldn't you know it? I had 19 of my athletes who want to be there too. And they signed up as well. So it was 19. It's now down to 16 because of the, the rescheduling of the current. So some of them have to choose between the surge meet and the current. It's just what it is. It, it becomes much more difficult to compete and coach at the same time. So it's just you, you eventually accept the fact that, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit better at coaching than I am at competing. I'll put most of my energy towards coaching, and I still enjoy lifting and competing. So it's, that's my back burner goal, but it's not my front, front goal. Sure. Well, you know, as you – work with athletes and obviously you've worked with hundreds, you know, of in your experience, what has marked the difference for you between, you know, an incredible athlete uh, or someone that's going to become, you know, quote unquote mm -hmm. best in the world, like Stacy, or um, someone that's just, just, Hey, like they're a cool lifter, but they ended up just kind of being just another athlete. What was really that difference maker? For Two you things, you ego and attitude. The bigger the athlete's ego, the less likely they are to, to achieve things long-term and success because they're constantly trying to feed that Instagram fury of putting up max effort lifts and putting up the big lifts so they get, you know, a thousand likes on their posts or their repost from the powerlifting motivation or king of the lifts, deadlift till I'm dead. You know, the, the lifters who live and thrive for those posts usually burn out within a year or two or hurt themselves significantly enough. And so the ego is an enemy here when it comes to long-term in sports and seeing your true potential. Because always lifting that way is just counterproductive to making any serious progress. And then attitude. You know, if you have a poor attitude and woe is me and life sucks and things are terrible, it's going to hurt you. You know, you have to have a positive mindset. You have to have a positive attitude. Yes, there are bad days. Yes, there's stress in life. Every single other person has it too. And they all manage to deal with it and accept it and move on from it. You know, we're all in the same boat with, with, with our stress levels and with our bad days. Or maybe we lose our job or somebody passes away or you lose your pet. All these things happen and I'm still going out there and doing what I have to do. And so are the athletes who are succeeding. They're still going out there and doing what they have to do. So you have to have your ego in check. You know, know what you don't know and ask for help where you need it. And be willing to progress long term like Stacy was and have the, the right attitude, positive mindset that you can overcome these things if you keep your head on straight and keep focused and don't let them distract you from your goals. That's where most people fail is, is things bad happen or things that are stressful. Like the situation we're in now with Rona is stressful to some people and they, they're, they're determined to let that defeat them. They're accepting that as a defeat where other people are finding ways around it or doing things in spite of it. I have athletes right now who are just killing it in the gym, even though they're not supposed to be in a gym, but they're killing it in either their home gym or their garage or they own the gym and they're having like PR right. after PR and they're not showing it because they can't or they don't want to. They don't want to be you know, rude to anyone, but they're still doing every single thing they have to do and they've gotten exceptionally stronger because that's become their main focus. They're like, I can't control the outside world, but I can control this, so I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. Yeah. Uh, and I can I can relate to that a lot. I, I have a couple guys. Um, I so I just graduated from oh, literally Monday, uh, and I know it's it's a little it's a little uh, surreal, it's a little anticlimactic <laughs> right now considering 
I graduated from my bedroom, <laughs> but you know, um, but you know, while I was there, um, I helped create the powerlifting team. And so I was working with a couple guys who were prepping for collegiate nationals. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, but I, a lot of those guys just kind of fell off. They were like, okay, like, cool. I really wanted to go compete, but you know, I guess now that there's limitations, I'm not supposed to go work at a gym. I'm just going to stop training. I'm just going to give up. But then I had a couple guys uh, who said, you know what? No, like I'm going to figure out a way for me to continue to get stronger regardless. And of course, those are the two guys that have continued to get stronger and have found themselves to their disciplines increasing because it is, it's the only thing left to do. Like there's, there's, they can't go anywhere. They can't go get distracted by stuff. They're just, they have to just go bust their ass in the gym. And there's a guy who, he literally just sent it to me today, uh, squatted 600 for 15. Um, and he's prepping for uh, bench worlds in October. And, you know, he just said, man, like the, the game changer was deciding to actually set up a home gym and actually deciding to go and get the plates and ask the high schools if I could borrow a couple 45s here or a couple 45s there and having to say no, mm-hmm. but pursuing it anyway. And I was like, man, that's, that's Absolutely. the dedication you want in that. Absolutely. It, it's not, not laying uh, blame, but accepting blame. If you're not progressing, it's, it's something that you're not doing. Yeah. Not that something's not doing for you. It's because it's something you are not personally doing. Absolutely. Because especially, I mean, if, let's be honest. If you're in the United States, like, you've mm-hmm. got access to stuff. Like, yeah, it may not be easy for you to have access to it, but you can you can be resourceful, you know. And I, I think of, you know, of Stacy when yeah. she literally she moved in with you, like, I was like, Hey, like I, I need a place to stay. I need a place to focus that like that. That's an ultimate decision of, Hey, I'm not letting anything stand in my way, you know? And I think that's just remarkable. She, she did. We, we had discussed it prior. Like it, it started off as a running joke about creating a fight camp for this event. And it turned into a reality, you know, right. reality that she was going to move in for seven and a half weeks leading up to it. And she was going to eat, sleep and breathe powerlifting and get her work done on the side. Cause you know, all she needed to do, cause she works remote as well as a coach was, you know, internet access. So, you know, the mornings were spent mobilizing and discussing and planning. And then we, she, same schedule I have now. We worked out around 11, 1130 for an hour and a half, two hours, however long it took, came in, recovered, ate. She would go for her walk to enhance recovery. She would come back, sign online and do her programming. And then she would spend hours on Instagram, answering everyone, replying to everyone, posting and creating videos that she did for, you know, some of them were hype videos that motivate people. Some of them were educational videos. Some of them are to market programs that she sells, you know. So she schedulized and systemized her goals into a way that she can achieve it and make it happen. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's the marker of someone that's going to last, you know, just as we've been talking for the last 15 minutes or so on that, that it's the people that are willing to discipline themselves and structure their days and continue to give back as well. You know, that, that you even said, you know, some of these lifters are, are more focused on what they're putting out yes. rather than what they're giving back. Uh, that they're like, hey, come look at my lift, come look at my lift, da, 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 da. but there's no engagement with the people that were supporting them in the first place. So really when they blow up, you notice, yeah, they could have 100,000 followers, but they're going to be getting 100 likes on something because people just kind of wrote them off for being it's out there. that guy. It happens, and that's you know? that's the ego talking. They, they want to be seen as celebrities or stars for Lyft. Mm-hmm. And more power to you. If that's your goal in life, I'm not going to hand mm-hmm. for your goal. If that's your goal, that's fine. And it's it's fading. Sure. It's fleeting. You know, you're not always going to be able to lift that. Um, I'm – I'm at an age now where like things should be declining. <laughs> you know, 
I don't see myself going out there and be able to <laughs> yeah. deadlift 800 pounds tomorrow. It's going to take me a little bit of time to get back to it. I'm pretty close to it still, which is awesome. But that was like my, my all-time goal. My all-time uh, pull was an 800-pound pull. And at 40 years old, it's not, as, it's not as easy to go out there and deadlift 800 pounds at you know, around 200 pounds body weight as it used to be. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, have, I try to have something sure. more to give the world than the fact that I was once strong. So I, I put out tutorials. I help people. I have the podcast with Tony Montgomery. We have Coach's Corner. So it's, it's bi-weekly podcast. His, his podcast is actually weekly. It's beyond the platform where he interviews an athlete each week on their aspect of the sport. And then we do Coach's Corner as well, which is you know coaches or athletes ask questions on things they want to learn. And we increase their education level. You know We've been doing that for a year and a half. So I've gone on other podcasts like Ritual Apparel has a podcast, which is all about positive mindset and helping you achieve your goals by, by giving you task-oriented things to do. And uh, I'm on your podcast now, obviously, which is you know, hopefully and hopefully motivating some people or helping people if there's anything they want to know. So it's, it's giving back to something that's given to you. So just because you're strong doesn't mean you deserve anything. If you want to get recognition for something, do something recognizable like give it. Yeah. And there's that phrase, you know, I literally have yep. a I hashtag that for about five yeah. years. Yeah, because it's. It's true, you know, and there's that other um, man, I'm going to slaughter this um, saying this, but, you know, that that talent is, you know, you're born with talent, but skills what's developed by you putting the work in. And I think it's right along the same lines that that, that talent that you're born with, the natural ability is going to fade if you don't tap into it and, you know, continue to, to find all the elements that are going to play into it instead of just running with it until it burns you out and becoming that ego. Sure. And many of us will never realize our full potential unless we put in full effort. And it's something that people get, you know, they get stuck on like, Oh, I'm not making any progress. I went, I went three years without a deadlift PR in competition. And then all of a sudden my deadlift blew up and I kind of scared a little bit less. You know, I wasn't so focused on making sure I PR my deadlift. It took three years and I've been competing since 2006, which is, you know, 14 and a half, almost 15 years now. So a three year span without a single PR there for a lot of people, they give up. They're like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to get any stronger and it's not going to happen or I don't have the genetic potential. You probably don't have the patience. That's the difference because it's, it's when you get to a certain strength level, it can take years to add 5, 10, or 15 pounds to that bar. It's not going to happen overnight where you see some people coming up and, and grow that fast. The people you see making outstanding progress are still in years 2, 3, and 4. You're not seeing that incredible fast progress when they're in years yeah. 10, 11, 12. And to be honest, with if people don't have great habits, they're not even seeing years 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's sad to see because obviously we want strength to be something that can really be a lifetime. It should be something that people are pursuing for a lifetime. But I mean, if you burn yourself out those first couple of years, yeah, that's why you see these lifters blow up and then disappear because they've just destroyed their bodies. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking because you do want to see people continue to get stronger and lift. Yeah, and you want to see people connected to a sport the that they can connect to for the rest of their lives. Um, a great example of that is you still see Ed Cohn in exactly. the community. Ed Cohn is still out there teaching, putting on lectures. He shows up at major yeah. meets and he'll do podcasts and share his experience and talk about how he came up. And he had a comp- uh, competitive career that spanned like two decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's remarkable. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I, I remember chatting with him uh, last year. And I mean, you know, he, he's as sarcastic as all get out. Um, I had uh, bleached my hair. Uh, and so, of course, I come up to him when I have bleached hair. And he says, man, what are you, Backstreet Boys? And I was like, damn it, Ed. <laughs> I, was like, I 
sounds like you're going to forever remember me. Well, you know, he was famous for saying that you only have so many 90% lifts in you. And he talked about not going to 90% very often and only doing it in part of his peaking strategy for his his meets. And, you know, somebody who had a 20-year powerlifting career spanning multiple weight classes and set as many records as he did, it's probably someone you should listen to versus someone telling you to go hard, go heavy every week. And they had this three- or four-year career. It's like, you know what? One's going to get you there. One's going to keep you there. And, you know, it's like the stock market. The longer you're in it, the more gains you're going to see. So you want to have longevity here. Well, so kind of switching topics here a little bit, um, you know, I know you I, I've read before and you've mentioned, you know, you had a lot of experience in strongman and, and weightlifting as well before you really honed into powerlifting. And I know there are uh, a lot of lifters who are just going to squat, bench, deadlift, accessorize, and that's it. But I wonder what what is that transfer from the mobility exercises and dynamic work of weightlifting play into the development well it frees you Um, and what i mean by that is you know many people have severe mobility restrictions where they can't hold a barbell very well in a low bar back squat or they can't deadlift very well because they can't achieve a great position Mm -hmm. so i'm not encouraging anyone to go out and learn weightlifting but it shows you a lot of where your restrictions are you have to have absolute mobility to catch a snatch overhead in a full position you know to be able to front rack a barbell and catch a clean in the bottom position you have to have great thoracic extension you have to have great shoulder mobility so it it shows you and what what might be hindering you in your progress as a powerlifter if you're tight in these areas Uh, i've always powerlifted since I was 16, I've power lifted, but I didn't compete in it because I didn't want to put on, I was just talking about this on, on another podcast. I was too uncomfortable and too shy to put on a singlet. So the reason why I segued into strongman first is because you could wear whatever you wanted. There was no like uniform requirement. They weren't checking squat depth. They weren't right. checking to make sure your butt came off the bench. The reason why we wear a singlet and power thing is so they can see the depth of your squat. So they can see if your butt stays in contact with the bench. So they can see if you hitch a deadlift. It's, it's got a right. function as a uniform, which is why they have us put it on. So in power lift, I'm sorry, in strongman, you didn't have to do that. So I spent the first, you know, seven years competing in strongman because I could wear jean shorts if I wanted to and a ripped up t-shirt. It didn't matter, you know, but I was, powerlifting was always my base. It was always my heart. And I enjoyed, you know, competing in strongman. And then I had a few injuries and I ended up backdoor falling into weightlifting because a friend of mine who owned a CrossFit gym had a weightlifting coach. And uh, I just randomly said, Hey, I'd love to come over and try it one time and kind of see where I'm at. And it was humbling because like, I was not very fluid. I was not very athletic. (laughs) I was just, I was just big and strong. So, you know, I had to really take a step back and really improve my mobility in my shoulders, mobility in my hips to get in those positions. And once I did it, I realized how beneficial it was for me. So I've always tried to maintain that to some degree. Like even today I was in my garage front squatting. I still use a clean style front rack for a front squat. I don't put the SSB on me backwards. Mm-hmm. I allow clients to do that because I don't need them to be mobile enough to front rack a barbell with a, with a clean grip. But it, it exposes where that sure. tightness and that restriction is and I can make them aware of it and say, hey, you can't do this because of maybe we should work towards improving that and then prescribe them daily homework or daily mobility exercise that would improve that. You see a lot of people do that in a squat where their back completely rounds over, whether it be lower back or upper back, it's rounding over for a reason. And it, you know, chances are if they're butt winking, it's probably either a poor bracing pattern or tight hamstrings that's pulling pelvis posterior if they're rounding over their upper back it's probably really tight shoulder girdle you know their internal rotators which is their pecs and their lats is pulling their shoulders forward when they hit that hole in the squat they can't maintain an upright posture and you can still get strong with those it's not saying you can't get strong there are a lot of high level lifters who have really poor technique and they do that i shouldn't even say poor technique but they have really poor mobility and they get away with it but the chances of you increasing your injury rate Mm -hmm. are there or how much better would you be if you could hold this bar well 
You know, you're fighting your own restrictions. It's like trying to drive with a parking brake on. The car will still move, but you would go faster if you took the brake off. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I love I love that you just mentioned that because literally I was pulling up your post from January where okay. you said put the parking brake in your car and drive around because you talked about that shoulder mobility. And so I love that you just mentioned that just as I pulled it up and read it. Um, but, you know, I think we see that a lot even with um, – you know, that idea of low bar, I remember reaching out to you a few months ago because I started experiencing um, a ton of pain down my uh, my bicep whenever I was squatting because uh, I tr- transferred down to low bar. I was high bar. And then Stacy said, damn it, Moses, pull the bar lower down your back. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's going to fall off. It's going to fall off. She's like, it's not going to fall off your back. And so, of course, I bring it down and it just became excruciating under heavy loads. And then, as you explained, I saw all those mobility, you know, issues and drills of the band that I now do religiously. But we see so many people who really do. It feels like they're lifting with a parking brake on. Um, and, and I wonder, you know, you mentioned a little bit in the post for, for those people that are just hearing me ramble and have no idea what we're referencing. In trying to unlock their shoulders, um, you know, to allow them to squat better, allow them to bench better. What are probably your top three tips um, for people to, uh, to well, bench you know, and squat pain-free? Pain-free is tough to guarantee because this is a sport where you're grinding and you're pushing your limits and there's going to be a lot sure. of wear and tear in your joints, which is all the more reason to have better mobility and to have better stability. So you reduce that as much as possible. You know, I've been lifting for 27 years and I can't say that I'm always 100% pain-free, but I move pretty damn, pretty damn well for a 40-year-old. So sure. it's... It's hard to give a audible tip except for watch your patterns. So, you know, I have my athletes record mm-hmm. a set or two of their main lifts and send it to me so I can see these patterns. You know, not everyone could recognize these patterns, but I'm able to recognize these patterns of which way the bar is moving and why. You know, you're looking for that energy leak. So is it something where you see their feet moving sure. awkwardly? Are you seeing their knees cave in? Are you seeing their, their ribs go up into hyperextension, you know, with their back? Or is the bar just being pulled forward for no reason? If it's being pulled forward for no reason, then chances are it's going to be tight shoulders. So it's it's one thing is, you know, don't skip warm-ups. Utilize them. And I, I put up a video some point in time last year where it talked about kind of a format to follow for warm-ups of mobility, stability, and activation. And that's probably the best tip I can give you is if you're warming up for a particular lift – Choose a, a mobility movement that's going to open something that's tight in that chain for you. So if it's ankles, choose an ankle mobility. If it's hips, choose hip mobility. Something for you to stabilize under that bar. So something that's going to give you stability, which would be like a plank, a side plank, a bird dog, dead bug, that kind of thing. And then activation. What is the weakest link for you in that movement? If it's glutes, then you would do, say, like sideline clamshells or glute bridge. If it's, say, you know um, – Core activation, then you would add in another stability movement. So maybe your warm-up involves two stability movements. It might involve a plank and it might involve that dead bug and so forth. You're trying to activate where you are usually the weakest. So that's going to help you within the list to become more aware of it. So if you have, you know, an issue with using your quads in the squat, then maybe your activation exercise is something like a Spanish squat or a wall sit where you can feel those quads engage and get them firing so then you can feel it again into the bar. So it's hard to pick, say, one exercise that's going to help all because we are are all individuals but if you follow that format when you're warming up of pick a mobility movement pick a stability movement and pick an activation movement you'll be able to put that together for yourself and then if you don't have a coach and you coach yourself there are forums online where you can put your video up and every time dick and harry is going to say i see this i see that i see this you don't have to say that this is necessarily true because some of the times i see people say things on there that are just dumb 
<laughs> they they regurgitate what they heard from somebody yeah. else. someone says yeah. them, your shoulders are tight so instantly when they see somebody else moving poorly in a squat your shoulders are tight which is a blanket statement chances are most of us who sit at a computer are going to have right. tight shoulders but if you get a general consensus of what other people sure. see you start recognizing these things within your own lifts and you can then address them so um i love the janeer quote pay attention to the tension so where do you feel tense the most when you're moving is probably what you need to mobilize Yeah, that's good. And, you know, right along that, you know, there's, you have that other phrase, you know, cues aren't mantras, Uh, you know, of just because someone said to you one time, hey, you should probably try doing close grip bench to make your normal bench stronger, though that's true, and it will positively impact a lot of people doesn't mean that should be the number one thing for every single person to do, or saying big chest isn't necessarily going to benefit every person in the world. I know that's something the whole chest up cue. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of chest up because most people go into extension. <laughs> um, there are better ways to cue it or to express it. And I'm just not a fan of general cues being thrown out anyways, especially when they're in a meet. These issues should be addressed in training before you even get to the meet. And they're not going to hear you in a meet. Exactly. And if they do hear you, you better make sure you're shouting something very, very specific for them to do. Like I, I laugh all the time when people are getting ready to unrack a bar yeah. and you hear, get tight. Okay. First, duh. Second, <laughs> what would you like them to get tight? And when you know a lifter, like I have a lifter, Eddie, and for me, if he's getting ready to unrack a bar, the, the next thing I will say to him is pinky pressure. Because I know that if he's clenching his pinkies, he's got his lats yeah. tight. And if his lats tight, he's connected to his hips. He's going to walk out stable. He's going to breathe and brace. And I'm going to remind him again when he's breathing and bracing, pinkies tight. Because the tighter he keeps his pinkies through the law of irradiation, the tighter he keeps his torso. So if you're just shouting a cue at someone, you don't know if you're helping yeah. them or hurting them. You might be giving them the wrong cue. Like I see all the time, the, um, that kind of was one of the earlier yep. videos that I put in quotes, hips, hips, hips. Hips, hips, hips is like the dumbest cue and so close to locking out. Like they don't know they're supposed to bring their hips to the bar, <laughs> but usually they can't bring their hips to the bar because they've tucked under. Their hips are already in. At that point, it's no longer hips. It's now upper back. It's thoracic extension. That's the only way they're going to finish that. So how do you get them in the best possible thoracic extension? Like it was an issue Stacy had. She would hyperextend her neck up in the air and her hips would come in. They wouldn't move any further. So you could shout hips till the cows come on, but it wouldn't change her position. You can actually hear me yelling at her at the Arnold because I knew her flaw. Chin tuck, chin tuck, chin tuck. Because if she brought her chin down, then her hips and chin came together into one unit. And she stacked her torso and she had the lockout. So you have to know what you're shouting. If not, just say yes, keep going. You know, just be just be positive. Because if you don't know what you're shouting and you don't know the lifter or what they respond to, you're doing more harm than good. And and a lot of cues are very vague in general and they don't help everyone. There's there's good intention behind them, but it might just be the yes. wrong cue. And and like you said to start with this, cues aren't mantras. What works for some doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. Well, and it's it's funny you mentioned that that chin thing. If I had a dollar uh-huh. for every time Stacy said no, <laughs> I'd be a very rich man because <laughs> I do the exact same thing. Because I just assume, yeah, if I look up, then the bar is going to keep looking where I'm going. You like when you're driving, if you look in a direction, that's where your car is usually going to end up moving. <laughs> that's not yeah, you know for, for some people it <laughs> is, but you have not. to know the lifter and where their their positions and where their patterns are and what they go to. So for the majority of people, it's probably not. For some people, it just might be. Like I had a recent situation where a lifter started working with me. And I'm like, dude, you have that bar way too close, your hips too far from the bar, and you are lifting with your back and not getting any quad drive whatsoever. I'm like, let's move the bar forward about an inch and a half so it's more of your midfoot when you deadlift and you can get your knees over the bar and quad drive. And he wrote back, what? 
I'm like, yeah, let's put your knees, let's put your knees over the bar so you can press down <laughs> into the floor with your quads and keep the bar in line with your hips and you'll get stronger. So he does it the next week and the bar's like flying up. He's like, I don't believe it. What a difference. I'm like, yeah, well, you had a poor position to start with. He goes, my old coach would like hammer all day long, vertical shin, vertical shin, vertical shin. And it's a conventional pull, by the way. So we go vertical shin. You have to have vertical shin. I'm like, that's not a wrong cue if you're a super heavyweight. Right. If you're so big, you have to have a vertical shin so you can get down to the bar. Otherwise, there's no room for you to get down the bar because your belly's in the way. So if you're a super heavyweight, absolutely, sure. vertical shin's the way to deadlift. And he just wrote back, that makes a lot of sense. My old coach is a super heavyweight. I'm like, well, it works for him, you know? <laughs> So, you know, I'm like, you're, you're 230 pounds, he's 330 pounds. You have very different pole positions and patterns. So what works for him is not going to work for you and vice versa. Yeah. Well, so along that same line with athletes, I'm sure there have, been, there have come times in which the relationship with the lifter and client, you know, ha has become frayed. Uh, the communication isn't all there. Uh you know, maybe they're not communicating with you or vice versa. When do you know that it's time, you know, for, for you guys to move separate ways? Have you ever had to let Sure. A, a couple go? situations so where I've had to let athletes go or a couple situations where they chose to let me go. Um, you know, sometimes it's not just the communication between the two of you. Sometimes it's the communication that they're receiving on outside sources. Somebody else who's in their ear saying, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. And it, yeah. it wears on the athlete a little bit. They, they start to think maybe I should be doing that. I've had athletes who I coach where things were going very, very well. And somebody who's in their training space or in their room keeps suggesting other things that are different. And, you know, you're saying, no, I don't agree with that. And then they're like, well, I'm going to try it. I'm like, okay, you can try it, but I don't agree with it. And, you know, sometimes it works for them. Sometimes it doesn't. But it, it strains your relationship because it's letting you know that they no longer have confidence or trust in you and what you believe is best for them. And they believe the other person. So, you know, it does happen. There's outside influences who can change that relationship and it falls apart. And there, there are sometimes situations where people change. You know, I, I've had lifters who get some notoriety and their head gets big and they want to be treated special or certain privileges or this and that or above the other thing. And it's like, I don't treat any of my athletes that way. I wouldn't treat you that way either. And they don't like that. They want to be treated a certain way because they see themselves as a certain status. And I'm like, well, you know, it's time for us to move on. Or they, they tell me it's time for me to move on and try something different. And, you know, they're welcome to. Your, your athletes are your clients. They're, sometimes they become very, very close friends, but they're not your prisoner. They're not their captive. So I, I once ranted about people saying my athlete in, in a post because yeah. I saw a coach constantly say my athlete. I'm like, that's not something you should be saying. You're their coach because they hire you. You don't pay them to, to coach under you, to, yeah. to train under you, and, and you don't control their, their lives. You help dictate and facilitate their goal. So they're not your athlete in the terms of my athlete. They're an athlete that you're working with right now, and they're free to do whatever they want, whatever choices they make outside of the gym, or if they want to try and work with a different coach, or if they want to try and coach and work on the program themselves. I have people do that where I've, I've worked with them for two years. Like I've learned a lot. I have a lot of ideas, and I want to try working on my own program for a while and see if my concepts or ideas are right. And how's it? can I shoot questions off you from time to time? Sure. That's fine. Like sometimes it's very amicable, and sometimes it's not always amicable. Sometimes it ends up being very, very bad because maybe I didn't end it as I should have sooner. Sure. And, and I think that that's, oh, that's such a healthy way to, to look at it. Cause I know there are some people who just have these awful, like, I won't say breakups because it is, it's a relationship, you know, the coach of, of these, these, these splits with their coaches that are like, they're also not even on speaking terms anymore. Cause they're like, oh, you screwed me. I didn't perform as well as I wanted to. And the coach is kind of like, well, was your nutrition what I was guiding you to? Was your sleep? Yeah. We talked good? about that in the very no, beginning. No, 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 it's no, a lot no, easier to lay blame than to accept blame. 
You know, responsibility is, is something that's lost a lot of people. Exactly. And if I didn't perform well, it's never been because somebody wrote my program poorly, right? You know, or it was the wrong direction because, you know, to be a poor program done with incredible effort is going to exceed a great program done with poor effort. It's just the way it is. And so it's usually if you don't Absolutely. perform well or do things well, then maybe you had the wrong expectations or maybe it wasn't the right time or maybe you didn't do everything you had to do. I've had poor performances. I've had great performances. And at the end of the day, the poor performance and the great performance were both my responsibility. The coach is just someone who facilitated the program, the goal to get there, and, and you would actually thank them for that. And you're, you're paying them for it. So that's their job. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's something that not a lot of people recognize that frequently – it's so much easier to cast the blame on someone else, right? Like it's so much easier to just say, Oh no, it must've happened because so-and-so did this to me instead of saying, well, actually sure. at the end of the day, I'm the master. And, and you're not in control of that as a coach. Cause there are a lot of situations you know? where I have an athlete squat high the entire prep and every week I'm like, dude, you're moving the weight. It's great. It's high. You need to take them low. And then they get to the meet and they have these expectations that they're going to squat a certain number and they're getting called for depth on every one of them. They don't get it. And they're like, well, you know, it's uh, time to move on. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. If you feel I need to move on, move on, you know, but it's like also for eight weeks, I told you you're squatting high. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And it's and I almost like I'm like chuckling because I'm like, hey, like. <laughs> For, for the longest time, I said, hey, man, you should probably do blank. And you didn't do it. And then when you were at the meet, and that was the same issue. Well, that's that's why I say I that you one know, of the biggest deters of success is, is someone's I mean, ego. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, it's the thing that holds us all back, even outside of sports. Ego holds us back in relationships. It holds us back in academics. Because yes. as soon as we've decided that we know everything, it's over. It's just, it's absolutely over. Well, so kind of on this last segment, um, I, I'd love to chat kind of the future. So right now you're, you're entirely focused on coaching. I mean, that is your, that's your prerogative. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Lord willing, if stuff mm-hmm. opens back up, you know, that you'll get to compete here in October, but what does it look like for you in the future of Jaffe strength? Um, it, your hopes and that's a great question. Uh, I, I do plan out long-term. So, I don't see myself not coaching anytime soon. I love coaching. There are some aspects business-wise that I want to improve upon. So I want to be able to come out with, you know, some stock programs because when I don't have the availability to take on clients, the next question is usually, well, do you have a stock program I can follow or I can buy? So I'm, I'm in the process of writing a couple of those out that I will be able to release and say, here, you know, if you, just, you couldn't get a space coach with me, here's at least a stock program if you want, you know, 12-week program, 16-week program, and, you know, go from there. There's other avenues I want to do. I'd like to start my own podcast because obviously I can't ever shut up. So I have a lot to say. <laughs> Might as well have an outlet for it. Uh, I've heavily gotten into personal finance the last year. So I spent a lot of time reading about investments and stuff like that and looking to build that. So that portfolio. So my, my future is just about the, you know, securing the safety of my future and making sure I have retirement funds and those accounts that are going to grow and allow my money to work for me and make sure I'm just not living for this moment that I'm prepared for the next moment. But I will always be coaching. I, I, a picture came up in my Facebook memories um, from like 12 years ago, and it was at a strongman contest. And it was like a picture of me coaching another competitor that I was literally in the same weight class and competing against. And I happened to now coach him in powerlifting as well, uh, Corey Clark. And it's, it's just like something I've always done. I've never, never asked to be anyone's coach, but it's just always been what I've enjoyed doing was helping others and coaching them and 
teaching them what I've learned along the way. And I just happen to be fortunate enough to get paid for it at the same time. So it's just something I want to continue doing. I wouldn't step away from it. Competing is getting harder and harder to do as my athlete roster is, is so large and my opportunity is so large. But I, I do enjoy training. I'll never stop training. So co competitions will probably knock down to once a year. I only competed once last year. I'll only compete once this year. I'll probably only compete once a year after that. It, it's just a way to keep me focused and measured. But uh, I will keep expanding you know, the business aspect. People have asked me about club coaching, meaning that since I can only handle so many individual clients putting together like a monthly coaching program where there's, they can send in like a video a week to get some peak in a Facebook group kind of thing. And they'll have programming to follow, but it's more generalized programming. It's not specific to one individual, like individualized programming is in coaching. So just looking to bring out those aspects over the next year or two, uh, one at a time so I can dedicate and focus them entirely. I don't like to half-ass anything. I like to make sure it's a hundred percent there before I do it. If I want to put my name on it. So just expand and grow the coaching. Um, that's really it because I'm the most boring guy. Like I've sacrificed everything to do this. I love it so much. I've given up everything else. Like, <laughs> I, when I moved into my house, I didn't even have TVs and uh, I had separated. So I, I needed yeah. a TV for my son to be able to play his video games when he comes up. So I had to like, we were there at like 1230 in the morning at Walmart buying like a TV for him to hook up his video games to because he's, thir he's 13. And it's like, how do you not have a TV? I'm like, I don't watch TV. So, <laughs> so I, I, my days are spent like training, mobilizing, awesome. creating content for people that. to learn from and reading in a way that betters me. So, it, you know, it betters my mind, it betters my body and it betters my, my portfolio. And that, that's all I really spend time on is making sure that what I do makes me happy and helps my clients as well. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, we mentioned kind of at the beginning of this episode, you know, we've seen so many, so much larger of an audience is starting to move towards powerlifting, move towards Olympic weightlifting, strongman, um, as fitness has really become and competitive fitness has become so popular. Where do you see, and I'm almost acting for, for a prediction here. Where do you predict this? Crazy the growth that it has in the, the last five, five. years. And then even in the last 10, like I would show up at a powerlifting meet and they were lucky to have 30 to 35 people competing. And it was like maybe, maybe one woman and it was all multiply back then. It was like five guys For raw sure. and like 26 guys in multiply. And now it's the opposite. There's maybe one guy is in gear or two guys in gear. And now it's like the rest of them are all raw and there's no longer meets with 30 people. Now there's meets with 200 plus people. And we're having, these, we're having these mega contests like the, the U.S. Open and right. the showdown meet that's coming up. That's all sleeves meet. So you're going to conti continue to see growth. Which is good because the more people that get involved as competitors, the more there's an opportunity for space for companies to come in. And the more companies that come in, the more money that's put into the competitions. So the competitions will be on a bigger scale. You'll start seeing, you know, eventually something like the US Open, maybe not either US Open, but maybe something like the US Open will start becoming something that's televised, you know, instead of just live streaming on a computer. You'll start seeing it become somewhere on a network because there's so many different television networks and streaming networks that are going to want to have sports entertainment. The same way ESPN2 started. ESPN2 started by showing odd sports like monster truck rallies and strong and strongman and arm wrestling and karate tournaments. So the same way that right. came about, as more and more people get involved in the sport, you'll see more companies come in. And the more companies that come in, the more money that comes in, the more media attention it's going to get. And when it gets to a point where it's got enough mainstream media attention, it will start getting a television deal where it's on. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years we see like the U.S. championships. I mean, even if it's just you know the um, USAPL Arnold championships or the American championships or whatever it's called, you might see that on TV. You might see it on like Wide World of Sports or something like that. So I think it keeps growing to that level. To where you yeah. see the biggest contests are starting to get televised or recorded. Yeah.
And, and I think what's interesting is more, more people, and this is all the more relevant since, you know, in the last few days, um, people know all about Strongman, mm-hmm. or at least they know all about Eddie Hall and Thor Bjarnson, because of course everyone saw the 501, but it's, it, it's interesting. It, yeah. I wonder, you know, how quick, how long it'll take, you know, before people are recognizing that same thing about just meets in general, instead of just being like, Oh, Holy crap. Jamal Browner pulled another absurd lift at what looked like RPE four for the third time, you know, of when it's just a casual. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and and it's pretty cool that the uh, Eddie and Thor thing became such a big deal that it's not going to be a boxing match. <laughs> you know, J- Jamal doesn't have to pick a fight with say like Joe Sullivan and have a boxing match, yeah, I mean, but it shows you surreal, that, you know, man. it's a friendly rivalry but there's a little bit of trash talk between them and it's turned into something bigger where now it's like a spectacle. And that's a throwback to the old circus strongman days. Like the circus strongman days were also like the wrestlers in the circus and they were the strongman and who could, who could wrestle them or I'll beat them. So it's it's a little bit of a throwback, which is Uh kind of neat, but it just shows you there's so many more opportunities there. The more eyes see you. So, you know, that was sponsored by rogue and rogue broadcast it live and so many people tuned in. So it's like, wait a minute, there's an opportunity here to showcase these athletes, which you're going to see more of, you're going to see more of it in strength sports. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's exciting. Well, so I've got two questions left for you. Um, this one, I, I ask everybody, and I know sometimes it makes people uncomfortable, some people it doesn't. So there's no pressure behind this question at all. But I wonder in your own uh, you know, life from being the chubby, shy, introverted kid to becoming this just renowned coach, how much your own faith walk or view of you know, maybe the world that, that can't be seen, whether you even believe that exists or not. I wonder how much that has played into your own training or how you've viewed your relationship with your clients. That, your that's a question athletes. of faith. And, I, and when I say faith, I don't mean religion. You have to believe in your abilities to achieve something in order to do the work to do it. And so a long time ago, I was in a powerlifting meet. Absolutely. And Marilla Contino, who was one of the senior officials for the IP, um, IPL at the time, and a prolific powerlifting writer, and she's from Brazil. She taught academics and taught at um, the academic level as far as exercise science. She has a PhD, and she was fascinated by strength sports. And she was my head judge. And I pulled, I think I pulled seven, 722 at the time in that meet. And she had noticed I pulled hooker, which at the time was very unusual. It wasn't very often for people to pull hooker, but I picked it up in Olympic weightlifting, and then I enjoyed the hook grip, so I stuck with it. And as soon as I got off the platform, she grabbed my arm and she says, hey, you're going to deadlift 800 pounds one day. And I just kind of looked at her like, yeah, right, lady. You know, I'm competing at 180. I'm competing at 181 here. The odds of that are impossible because at the time, the 181 <laughs> world record was 801 by Ed Cohn. And uh, I'm like, sure, whatever. And so realistically, mm-hmm. my deadlift didn't go very far. For That was the three-year period I talked about. Like, I didn't go very far. I got the 727 at a meet after that. And then it stayed at 727 for a solid three years. And then 727 became 744, 755, 771, 778, 788, and then 800. The difference between the 722, 727, and the 800 was belief. After about three years, I started believing, you know what? I can pull 
you know, faith is just an, an undying belief. So you'll do what's necessary to achieve it because you believe in it so much. And she was literally the yeah. first person to look at me and say, you're going to pull 800 with it. Now, I didn't do it at 81. I did it at 198. But <laughs> nonetheless, I did pull the number. Sure. <laughs> but sure. she saw the potential in me still, before still I saw Still 800 pounds. Let's not knock it. <laughs> and so you have to have that belief. Like, you know, one of the things that connected me to Stacy when we first started talking was I believed in her wholeheartedly. She would say these crazy things, and I look at her, and I'm like, I believe you're better than that. I believe you're aiming too low. I believe you can yeah. do more than that. And that belief was what connected us. She believed she could. I believed she could. And it got her to that level because we both believed she could. So it's important to have faith in something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I still have mm-hmm. – uh, I've got my coffee mug, that champion mindset can am well because it's it's – something to hold on to that if you if you don't absolutely with every fiber of your being know and believe that yeah, you're going to become uh, even that your great current thing, coach now Larry that great thing, you know he's awesome the big cat on Instagram you, big cat 10 he had a issue with his glute and he's had like hamstring tendinosis underneath his glute it's hampered him and we decided we're going to do his last meet at bench only we started yep. training bench only he wasn't squatting at all and then like two weeks before the meet he takes like one squat with his team because he wanted to contribute with his team so he puts yep. reps on and squats like six like an rpe2 even though he hadn't squatted for two months <laughs> and, and and he gets to the meet he's like i believe i can still squat 700 and he did you know it's <laughs> it one of those absurd. things like oh my god but it's just he believes he could so he did yeah belief is the most powerful thing we can have Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember. I remember talking to him the day before the meet. I texted him. And he was He's like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to take a squat." Yeah. And I was like, "What?" Yeah. He was like, "Yeah, like why not?" He's a determined like, individual, which is really it, cool. <laughs> like, that's hype. <laughs> he really is. I mean, he was the first guy I interviewed, um, and obviously with him having multiple sclerosis, I mean, it's all the more remarkable. That he just he just said, hey, you know yes. what? This, this, He's an I'm example of I have this, but it doesn't define me. Regardless, and I'm like, exactly. Well, so last question for you, super lighthearted. Uh, I decided for season three, I was going to ask everyone this because it's become the running joke that I never mention anything regarding food, even though I always say it in the intro. If there was one breakfast food that you could have for the rest of your life every no, single so day. This is a conundrum, it, right? Because I'm disciplined enough that my breakfast every day is like five ounces of meat and fruit, but it's not my, it's not my ideal. I actually like despise breakfast right. foods with the exception of, believe it or not, like chocolate chip pancakes and French toast, which I know is in your, your show title, French toast. But like I can't eat that every day because I will be – 300 pounds. Oh, man. I can eat. Let me get, let me rephrase it. I can eat that every day, but I would be 300 pounds. So my, my breakfast every morning since I've been committed to really achieving my goals is literally just right. like five ounces of meat and cheese and fruit because it's easy, digest convenient, and it's loaded with sodium so I can lift at 11. But, you know, if it's like I've made weight for a powerlifting meat and it's time to go have breakfast, we go over to like Cracker Barrel and I'm having chocolate chip pancakes or French toast. And by the way, Cracker Barrel has only seasonal where you can get chocolate chip pancakes. I was like, what? What a, what a load of crap. You can only get them in like October. What, what about a chocolate uh-huh. chip is seasonal? But you can only get them in like October <laughs> and November. So, you know. And uh, I get real disappointed yeah, if exactly. I have to go to like Denny's or IHOP because it's just subpar food. 
it's terrible. So like Cracker Barrel is, is fantastic. Or you have to find like one of those oh, breakfast absurd, nook places yeah. that's like mom and pop owns. Those are the best. That's where you get like the best pancakes that you see like a stack of four and you're like, oh, that's not even going to be enough. And then you can't even finish it because it's gigantic. <laughs> and then you're hurting in pain, but you're ready to squat tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a uh, right outside Lynchburg. There was a uh, an old pie shop. Uh, those run. This woman is 102 years old, and she is still there. She'll sit there now. Obviously, she's not baking anymore, but she'll she'll sit right there and she passes down the recipe to her daughters. And I mean, I say when this is the best pie I've ever had in my life. Like, I mean, it's just there's nothing yeah. like it because there's just that. And it's not like today's modern world where it's like gluten free, cholesterol free. You know? That pie that pie was made with so much lard and butter, and that's why it's delicious. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm eating it. But it was worth it. That was my fat Absolutely content for the rest it. of this prep. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, Trevor, so glad we were able to make this thing happen. Uh, just great conversation. Uh, I mean, you've just got so much wisdom and clearly just joy for the sport. And it's something that that I know is a breath of fresh air and a sport that so frequently can get caught up in just this ego and attitude. Absolutely. Itself. Well, I've been doing it and long enough that so the process is for, for the process second nature to me. I wouldn't know what to do without the process. It would throw off my whole day. But I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I love the sport. I love everybody in it. It's amazing. It's so fascinating to see the different cultures come together because, you know, we're all united by one thing that we're onto the bar. And it doesn't matter what race, read, religion, or creed you are. You're going to squat, bench, and deadlift, which is cool. Well, folks, you've heard it here first. Uh, you can find Trevor on Instagram at Jaffe Strength, or uh, you can head over to their website, uh, jaffestrength.com. Uh, this has been a full conversation with Oh, Dan. I'm glad. We'll Thank catch you. you guys next time. Hey, y'all. If you love that episode and you're craving a little bit more, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify at Faith Fitness and French Toast, or visit us at anchor.fm forward slash Moses Allwood for full interviews, trailers, and more for the rest of the season. We've got an action-packed list of guests lined up for the coming months, from world record holders to next episode's winner of the NBC Titan Games. So don't forget to turn on your post notifications on Instagram and stay connected on your platform of choice to be the first to hear of new guests and early episode releases. With that, I'm Moses Allwood. Thanks as always for listening. I'll see you next week.